You know, it's a beautiful thing to think that we have that kind of reach. We're able to impact children's lives and people around the world. And we do, and thank God, and may it always increase. Hey, I want to welcome everybody uh, on all of our campuses. You know, Sarah and I were in Seattle last weekend with our newest grandbaby, who is just beautiful. Uh, our kids out there grew up here at this church. They send their love to everybody on all of our campuses and those of you who are watching on the web as well. Now, as you know, we are one church that meets in six different locations. So wherever you are, I hope you're ready for this second message in our Winsome series. Now, last weekend, my friend Matt Proctor, president of Ozark Christian College, was here. Let's thank God for Matt and Katie. Didn't they do a great job last, last week? In fact, Matt did such a good job, he ain't never coming back here again. I can tell you that. I just can't handle the pressure, you know. But he uh, launched a series of messages that we hope will equip us to win some of the people in our lives to the Lord. Now, you know, the name of this series comes from something Paul said to his Greek friends in the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 9, how many of you got your Bible with you? Let me, let me see who you got it. Hold it up if you got your Bible. All right, good. You're going to need it tonight now. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, it's found on page 957 on our blue uh, chair Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible with you. Uh, but this is a pretty significant passage. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, I made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now, he's talking about winning people to Jesus. He is actively trying to lead people to a life-changing connection with Jesus. That's normal. And that's why we do exactly the same thing. He says in verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Now, Paul was Jewish, but he did not believe that heritage had any saving power. He was actually trying to win Jewish people to Christ. He said to those under the law, <coughs> and this is a reference to people who put a high value on religious traditions and customs. He says, as to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Now, this is really important. He didn't agree with all those traditions, but you never win anybody to Jesus by bashing their religious background. Amen? Amen. Let me say that again. You never win anybody to Jesus by bashing their religious background. Amen? Amen? Listen, man, if somebody grows up Jewish, you will not help them find a life connect, life-changing connection with Jesus by bashing Judaism. Right? right. Say, uh-huh, if you hear me. Uh-huh. If someone grew up in the Catholic Church and does not know the Lord, you will not win them to a life-changing connection with Jesus by bashing the Catholic Church. Right? That's right. Say, uh-huh, come on. I don't trust you when you say right. I want to hear uh-huh, that's more y'all, all right? If someone grew up Mormon or in the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Presbyterian church or Savannah Christian church and they do not know the Lord, you will not win them to Jesus by bashing their background, right? Uh-huh. Now, friends, what Paul is saying in this passage is if we want to win some to Christ, we need to be winsome. We need to connect with people. We need to love them. We need to tell them the truth. But don't demean somebody because of their background, regardless of why they're far from the Lord. Look at what Paul did. In verse 21, it says, to those who are outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Now, I'm not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. But I I connected with them so that I might win those who are outside the law. He's talking about Jewish, non-Jewish people who have no religious background, no religious memory at all. Verse 22, he says, to the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. 
You know, there are people who need someone to gently and simply and lovingly explain things to them over and over for them to get it. Now, Paul was a high-impact, low-drag player, but he could tone it way down if that was what was necessary to win somebody to Jesus. He says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Man, Paul is saying that winning some to Christ is important. It's so important that I'm willing to put connecting with people who are far from God before my opinions, before my preferences or my comfort zone or even my rights in Christ. Because winning somebody to Jesus is that important. People's lives are hanging in the balance. You know, several years ago, Sarah and I had lunch with a lady that we were hoping to win for Christ. Uh, She was a single mom. She was visiting our church at the invitation of two single Savannah Christian men. Uh, They had met at a tennis court somewhere. Uh, After the match, the guys invited her to come to church with them. And completely out of character for her, she said, I will. And I say it was out of character because she was already a worshiper. She worshiped work. You ever met anybody that worships work? Gave their heart and soul and mind and strength to work? Of course you have. And that's what she did. And she did it for the money. And she did it for the approval that came with making the money. Now, her plan for the day of her first visit to our church uh, was to go to the worship service and then go straight back downtown to the bank where she was an executive. She planned to spend that Sunday afternoon working as usual. But something happened during our worship service. The music touched something inside of her that she could not explain. She said, there's something about the music y'all do that just moved me. It sparked what she called a sense of longing within her. Now, we all know that she's been longing for the Lord, but she's been drowning that out with work and tennis and all kinds of stuff all her life. And then guess what the message was about that weekend? Workaholism. (laughs) She was thunderstruck. Uh, She was shocked that the teaching of the Bible would actually apply practically to the challenges of her life. But here she was, moved by the music, impacted by the teaching of God's word and she wanted more man so she started coming to our church and she would sing and sing and sing and she bought her a bible and she started reading it and she started connecting and even serving a little bit but that's as far as it went now friends if that's as far as it goes all you have is religion and religion never saved anybody can I get an amen Amen. she still had no real life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so Sarah and I took her out to lunch one Sunday, and amazingly, you're not going to believe this, the conversation turned towards spiritual things. (laughs) And I asked her what she thought about our services, and she told me. And I asked her what she thought about our church, and she told me. And then I asked her if she understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Now, you know, if you ask most people, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? They'll say, of course. It means be good, uh, go to church, be nice to people, uh, be a good moral person which is the wrong answer. Everybody say wrong. Wrong. Not only is it the wrong answer, it's 180 degrees in the wrong direction. It is a complete misunderstanding of what it means to follow Jesus. But thank God, uh, she'd been listening. And so she was a little bit better informed than that. So she asked me, Cam, what's the deal with the blood of Christ, man? I mean, we talk about it every week at communion. What does it mean? Why do we talk about it all the time? She loved the church, but friends, loving the church doesn't save you. She needed clarity about the person and work of Jesus. And so from there, I shared with her the basics of the gospel, which is what the Bible calls the truth that you must understand and believe and give yourself to if you want to be a follower of Jesus. 
Friends, embracing the gospel is what the Bible calls faith. And Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Friends, embracing the gospel is what turns meaningless religious acts and random acts of kindness, both of which have no spiritual significance, into grateful acts of Christ-likeness, which demonstrate an authentic love for God. And that is a very important distinction. Now, she was able to come to clarity over a period of time. She embraced the gospel. She found in Jesus a loving leader for her life and a forgiver of her sins. And she found her place in the family of God, which is cool. But here's the question for today. When you have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who wants to know Jesus in a life-changing way or needs to, what do you say? What is the content that will lead a person from being lost to a life-changing connection with Jesus? And how hard is it to master that information? Well, there's a story in the second chapter of Acts that will answer all those questions for us. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2. There's two books to the left. Everybody take your Bible. Go two books to the left to Acts chapter 2. I want you to track with me because I'm going to read through a lot of this. I'm not going to read all 47 verses, but man, you ought to. You ought to. Because Acts chapter 2 is a description of how the first people were won to Jesus after the resurrection of Christ. It says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost was one of the annual feast days of the Jewish religion. Lots of people traveled back to Jerusalem from all over the world. The apostles were there. About 110 people who are mentioned in Acts chapter 1 were at the temple when it said, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, notice it does not say wind filled the house. It was the sound of wind. So remember that. Verse 3 says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit imagined them. Amazing light shows started. It was crazy. Imagine what, I guess I'm the one. (laughs) But I mean, imagine what that must have been like as the Holy Spirit through this dramatic, you know, uh, presentation illuminated those 12 apostles because of what happened happened next. Uh, these are two very simple miracles for God. First, the sound of wind, but no wind. Must have been really eerie in a day before special effects. Then imagine this fire, you know, splitting and identifying 12 apostles as leaders affirmed by God. It must have been a stunning thing, <clears throat> especially in a culture where there are no special effects of any kind. This must have seized the attention of just about everybody. And then these 12 seemingly uneducated men suddenly received from God the ability to preach in languages they'd never studied before to the extent that people from 16 different linguistic groups began to say in verse 7, they were utterly amazed. They said, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Which is kind of like saying, aren't these jokers ignorant rednecks? And then how is it that each of us hears them speak in his own native language? Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, Well, they've just had too much wine to drink. Now, that's intelligent cynicism right there. Anybody here ever gotten drunk and became multilinguistic? Have ever happened to anybody? Most of the guys I know get drunk, can't speak one language, much less more than one, all right? Uh, Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. Listen carefully. And then Peter begins to explain this amazing demonstration of the power of God that was actually foretold eight centuries earlier by the prophet Joel. And he quotes that prophecy in verses 17 through 21. But here's the big news. He says, it's happening right now. That prophecy is being fulfilled right now in front of you. It's for real. 
And you know what I think we're seeing here? It's really simple things, really. Peter and the rest of those apostles had done exactly what we're doing today. They had prepared themselves for a God-given opportunity. Now, I want you to think about this. God had been teeing this ball up for the last three years. That's how long the apostles have been following Jesus. They had learned who Jesus was. They had learned what Jesus came to do. He came to die for our sins and rise from the dead and save everybody who had put their trust in him. They understood the difference between Jesus and every other religious leader. They understood the difference that Jesus could make. So when the opportunity came to speak for him, man, they grabbed it. Now, friends, this is what we call a divine appointment. A divine appointment is a God-given opportunity to talk to somebody about what, about what knowing Jesus has meant to you and what it could mean to them. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time beating this drum because Matt hit it pretty hard last week. But friends, I do want to say this. If your eyes are open and you are prepared and you are courageous enough to seize a divine appointment, God will set appointments up in your life and God will work through you to lead some of your friends to become followers of Jesus. I received an email today from a woman in our church who was invited here for a youth musical when she was 16 years old. She said she grew up with parents who would say they were Christians, but they never went to church. They had no visible relationship with Jesus. She said, I grew up just spiritually floundering. But a friend of mine invited me to come to Savannah Christian to see a youth musical called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And she said, I was one of the arts kids. I was a theater kid, so I was eager to come And she said, visiting that drama resulted in her becoming a part of our student ministry and finally coming to know Jesus in a real way. And friends, all that happened 12 years ago, and she's still locked in and serving right here today. In her email, she made a list of all the people that God had used to win her for Christ. She talked about Sean and Denise Moyer and Sean and Teresa Blakeney and Sarah Huxford and Vivian Ussery and Rhonda Hughes and Mary Richards and Peggy McCoy and Debbie Jackson and Jordan Clark and Aaron Weeks and Crystal Fritz and Megan Huffman and Garrett Huxford and Ashley Knorr and, and many, many others. She said, these people didn't give up on me when I struggled. They discipled me. They loved me. They helped me find that life-changing connection with Jesus. And I am eternally grateful. And you know, it makes me wonder how many students just like her were invited last weekend to the student ministry about Joseph, the prince of Egypt. And how many people just like her will be invited by you to the journey in December because somebody's eyes were open and they had the courage to speak up. Now, friends, I'm sure her friend had no idea all that God would do when he invited Carmel to come to that musical and then to Element and then sharing the gospel with her. But that friend did here at Savannah Christian exactly what Peter did 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. They both saw a God-given opportunity and they grabbed it. Now, here's another question. If I see a divine appointment and I have an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus, what do I say? I mean, what do I say? Now, friends, we want to be prepared not only to see the opportunity, we want to prepare ourselves to share the gospel. Now, that's exactly what Peter does in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, religion doesn't save anybody. Jesus does. Amen? Amen. Then for the next 14 verses, he talks about Jesus, who he was, why he was unique, what he did, how it matters. Look at verse 22. Peter said, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And then you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead. 
freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter is basically saying, look, Jesus is God. He proved it by working miracles. Jesus died intentionally by the set purpose and foreknowledge of God to pay the penalty for all of our sins and make a way of forgiveness possible for us. Jesus proved he was God, not just a good moral teacher, not just a great moral example. He was God, proved it by rising from the dead. And then on and on he goes, sharing with these Jewish people the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus in verses 25 to 35. And then he shares three truths that you have to embrace before you can become a follower of Jesus. Number one, you have to acknowledge Jesus as God's son and the only way to God. He is not just a good teacher. No good teacher would say what Jesus said about himself if it wasn't true. He's not just another teacher. Peter says in verse 36, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is the one and only Lord and Christ, master and Messiah. Nobody else is like him, never has been, never will be. Number two, he identifies the sin that separates every person from God. He talks about Jesus and he says, whom you crucified. These were the very people who 50 days earlier were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They had rejected God's son. And in so doing, they had rejected God. That sin of disbelief and many others distanced them from the Lord. And then number three, he called them to make a commitment. Man, the truth hit them hard as it often does. In verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. But that hard truth then led to another divine appointment. When they were cut at the heart, Peter said, uh, they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted that message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. Now here's the question. Is it possible to share this same information without becoming a preacher or having to memorize the whole chapter out of the Bible? I mean, how can we talk about who Jesus is and how our sin separates us from God and how to make a commitment to Christ without having to go to seminary? Well, I want to show you one way to communicate the gospel that I think will help anybody cover these basic concepts in a way that's simple but clear. And friends, you can do this on a napkin. You can do it on a credit card slip. Ask me how I know that. I've done it. You can do it anytime with anybody. This is what I shared with my banker friend in the restaurant that day that helped move her from religion to a relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm just going to break it down to A, B, C, D for you just so you'll get it. A, all have sinned. Say it with me, everybody. All have sinned. Your connection with God has been broken by sin. Yours, mine, ours, everybody's. Now, I'm going to diagram this for you. Uh, and you've got a, a kind of a basic bare bones part of this on your note sheet. And I just want to encourage you to uh, fill it in as we go. All right. Here's God. Here's me. The Bible says that we have been separated by sin. Romans uh, 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what the word all means in the Greek language? It means all. It means everybody. Whether you grew up in church or you didn't. Uh, whether you think you're better than everybody else or not, 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, just in case you're not convinced this is a problem for you, uh, let's see what the Bible says sin is. Sin is anything you do or say or think or fail to do that dishonors God or disobeys his word, which means that you can sin by action. Somebody cuts you off on uh, the highway during rush hour, you give them a rude gesture, that's sin. Amen? Well, let me think about that, Pastor. You know, the Bible says uh, love is not rude. Amen? Uh, you can sin by words. They cut you off in traffic and you say something rude about their ancestry or intelligence or resemblance to some farm animal or something like that. Sin. You can, you can sin by your thoughts. You, they cut you off in traffic and you don't gesture or swear, but the rest of the day you fantasize about gesturing and swearing and following them home and beating the tar out of them. All right? That's a sin by thought. Or you can sin by failing to do the right thing. Someone in traffic is in trouble. You know you should let them in, but what do you do? You just don't look at them, right? Because that's the international signal for, I don't think so, bro. You just don't make eye contact. You look straight ahead. You know you should help. You know Jesus would, but you don't sin. The Bible says for the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, it is sin. Amen? Now, friends, that's what sin is. Now, if sin is every time you do or say or think or fail to do something to honor the Lord, how many times a day do you think you sin? That's the point. See, many of us come to church thinking we're pretty good because we're better than the worst person we know or, or we're above average or we're better than most of the people we know. Friends, you're comparing yourself to the wrong person. You should be comparing yourself to Jesus. If you think you're a pretty good person, you're delusional. You need to wake up. And friends, most people will never get over that delusion unless somebody shares the truth with them, somebody just like you. So A is the bad news. All of us have sinned. All of us are separated by, from God by sin because we all fall short, right? And that sin leads to spiritual death. Romans six twenty three says, the wages of sin is death. And that spiritual death leads to hell. And that's bad. That's a bad thing. So the A, all have sinned. B, believe in Jesus. Friends, there's only one way to bridge this chasm that's caused by sin, and Jesus Christ is the one who had to do it. Now here we are, we're over here, and we're distanced from God, separated from God by this immense sin problem we have. But Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Jesus paid the price on the cross that we could not pay on our own and bridge this gap that sin had caused between us and God. Now, friends, you know what happens? Many times we think, okay, I can work this thing out. Here's what I'll do. I'll just do a lot of good works. But friends, I'm going to tell you, your good works will always fall short. Some people think, you know what, I'm just going to give a lot of money to the church or the Red Cross or the Cancer Association, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But you know the problem is all your good works fall short. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, the only one in the world who could bridge that chasm and reconcile you to God is his son Jesus. Now, good works won't do it. Going to church won't do it. Only committing your life to Jesus, the Son of God, will reconcile you to God and overpower the effect of sin and deliver eternal life in your life. That's why Romans says, by God, by this God, by, but God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Put that verse up for us, will you please? 
Next, here we go, everybody, big voice. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And friend, if you want to accept Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, the C stands for call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, if you need the Lord, you can pray. we can pray for you right now and you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And that's how you put your faith in Jesus. You acknowledge that he alone can save. You acknowledge that you've got a sin problem that means you need to be saved. And then you call out to Jesus and ask him to save you. Be the leader of my life. Be the Lord of my life. The forgiver of my life. And then if you put your faith in Jesus to save you, he will. The next step, D, is to declare your faith through baptism. Friends, after the resurrection of Jesus, everybody who came to Jesus was baptized in his name. Romans 6, 3 says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death and order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, let me take this away. And I want you to imagine it's next Saturday afternoon. And you're sitting with some friends watching a ball game on Saturday afternoon and you look at your watch and say, oops, got to go. Church starts at five o'clock. And one of your buddies says, dude, what is it with you in that church? Every time I turn around, you go to that church. Your pastor must be a stud, right? And then you would say, not really. Not really. He's just an old redneck from South Carolina. But since you asked me, hand me that paper towel and I will show you why church means so much to me. And then you're going to start drawing this illustration. Here was God. Here's me. Sin in my life separated from me, me from God. I didn't have any way to close this gap. I couldn't undo any of those sins. I couldn't turn any of them around. I couldn't make them go away. You know, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I sin, you sin, everybody sins. Sin is what separated me from God. The Bible also says that sin leads to death. You know, Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. I know that. I've killed so many things in my life because of my selfishness, my foolishness, you know, my, my narcissism. I'm telling you, and, and the Bible says that spiritually, eventually, sin leads to hell. So here I am separated from God, and I got this vast chasm. And there's all this sin stacked up, and I'm telling you, man, I'm not a nice person. I, I'm a prolific sinner. I went all pro years ago, all right? And so I got this problem. And so I thought, well, maybe I can fix it. Maybe I can fix it. So here's what I'll do. I'll do a bunch of good, good deeds, and maybe that will get me in with God. But you know what? All of my good deeds fell short. Or maybe I'll give some money to worthy causes that God loves, and maybe that will impress God. But you know what? All my donations fell short. Everything I tried to do to fix my relationship fell short until somebody told me about Jesus. And Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. Jesus made a sacrifice for sins he didn't commit. He paid a debt he did not owe. The Bible says that while I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. And so Jesus came to earth. This is what we learned from the Bible. And he builds this bridge that spans this chasm. And he makes it possible for me to access God, not because of anything that I have done, but because of what Jesus did for me. Now, here's what you ask your friend. How about draw on this chart where you are? Because your friend knows. You know, you know where you are on this chart right now. Maybe you're right here at the edge. Maybe you're, can we get some extension out here? 
way, way out this way somewhere. And you know, if your friend says, dude, I'm way over here, I'm almost off the paper towel. But you know, you can say, well, well, listen, man, why don't you come to church with me sometime? We'll sit on the back row. You won't have to say anything, sign anything, say anything, do anything. You just watch, you just listen. Our church is a safe place to listen and learn. And you just keep listening. And anytime you have a question, you ask me. And you know what might happen? If you start getting your questions answered, you might find yourself moving a little closer. Or maybe your friend will say, you know what the truth is? I am right here on the edge, man. I am so close. I, I, I have a sense that this is my next step. I think this is what I should do. I think this is what God wants me to do. I've just been scared to death to do it. And then you could say to your friend, well, listen, man, why don't you let me pray with you right now? And we can tell Jesus what you just told me. And you can ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be your Lord and to save you when you die. And you can give him your life and he can give you eternal life. Why wouldn't you do that right now? And you'd be surprised how many people will if you ask. Now, you have this on your note sheet. Y'all fill this in, right? Because you practice this a couple times. And you can do this at Starbucks. You can do this in a break room. You can do it on a napkin at a ball game. You can do it anywhere. But let me just say something else. This is hard to do wrong. You know, a lot of times people feel like, oh, man, what if I mess up? Man, what if, I, what, if I, what if I try to share the gospel and I mess it all up and they go to hell twice? I mean, you know, I mean, what, what, if, what if I mess up? Can I just tell you something, man? It is amazing how badly you can mess up and get lost and forget what you're going to say. Instead of saying Romans, say, you know, Hezekiah or something like that. And people still get saved. It, it is a crazy thing when the Holy Spirit, listen, listen, the gospel has its own power. When you start sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit gets involved. It's not about you and your strength and your brilliance. You're just participating. Man, Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Just tell the story, man. Don't worry about messing up. The Bible says eternity is in every human heart, inside every human being, deep inside. There is something that will resonate with the gospel. You just lift up Jesus, and he'll draw all men to himself. Amen? Amen. I told one of my favorite stories at Pivot this year. Uh, back in 1920, uh, Dr. Lynn Broughton was the pastor at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville. He was a great pastor, great preacher. Uh, church experienced incredible growth. Uh, his messages were so strong that every Monday, they printed the entire text of his sermon in the Jacksonville Times Union. Uh, in 1929, he moved to Atlanta to Tabernacle Baptist Church, which is now First Baptist Church, where Charles Stanley is. Uh, but when he got to Tabernacle Baptist, same thing, just boom. Just church began to grow. Uh, all three balconies were standing room only. Uh, they printed his full sermon in the Atlanta Constitution every Monday morning. Well, Dr. Broughton was a powerful leader, and, and he loved the gospel, and he loved people who were far from God. And so he was trying to lead this attorney to Christ. Uh, and the guy said he was an agnostic, which means he didn't know whether there was a God or not. And so he and Dr. Broughton were having conversations and having coffee. And, and Dr. Broughton finally got the guy to come to church. And he said he watched, he was sitting up on the stage and he saw his attorney friend come in late one Sunday. And then one of the ushers escorted him all the way down to the second row. And Dr. Broughton was thinking, what are you doing, man? Don't bring that man all the way down front like that. Come on. Because you know, people get crazy sometimes. But anyway, uh, you know, he brought him all the way down. And to make matters worse, he sat the attorney by a man in the church who had a mental disability. 
And Dr. Brown was thinking, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen here? Well, when the sermon was over and they were singing the invitation hymn, the little guy with Down syndrome turned to the attorney and said something. And the attorney looked back at him and snapped something at him. And then the little dude turned and said something else to him. And the attorney just stormed out of the church, just walked out. And Dr. Broughton thought, great, thank you very much. All this work I've been trying to do to lead this man to Christ and it just got blown up right here at church. And you know, the next week was kind of busy and so he didn't see his attorney friend until Sunday morning when he got into the worship center, he looked up and his attorney friend had come to church early and was sitting about two thirds of the way down. And during the invitation song, the attorney came forward and gave his life to Christ and said, I want to be baptized right now. And Dr. Broughton went to him and said, dude, what was it that made you give your life to Christ? I mean, I thought you were an agnostic and here you are putting your faith in Jesus. What was it in the sermon that turned you around? And he said, nothing. (laughs) Which is a little deflating to people like me, all right? He said, it was nothing in the sermon. And and Dr. Broughton said, well, what was it? He said, you know, last weekend I sat by a man in church. And during the invitation, he turned to me and said, wouldn't you like to go to heaven when you die? And I said, no. And he said, well, go to hell then. (laughs) And he said, you know, all week, (laughs) I just haven't been able to get past that. He said, nobody ever broke it down for me like that before. (laughs) Now, I'm not recommending that, okay? That's not on the chart anywhere. Go to hell then, all right? That's not on the chart. People can know that on their own. But what I am saying is that if God can use a young man with a mental disability to help a brilliant agnostic attorney come to faith in Jesus, imagine what he could do through you. Imagine what he could do through you if you will gear up and speak up. Friends, God will work through anybody who is available to lead your friends to a life-changing connection with Christ. This will be a good day to get in the game. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be together. Lord, to think about the gospel, the way it changed lives back during the Roman Empire, and the way, Lord, it's changing lives in the American Empire. I pray, God, that we will prepare ourselves that our eyes will be open to those divine appointments that you want to make for us at work and you make for us at school. Lord, you've positioned some of us, you know, in elementary schools and in middle schools and high schools and in college classrooms. And, and some of us are professors and some of us are students and some of us are employers and some of our employees. And you've positioned us, Lord, so that, you know, we're living the gospel out in front of people. They're, they're watching the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. They're, they're seeing the difference you make in our character. And, Father, you're using the influence of our lives to tee up divine appointments. And Lord, if our eyes are open to see those things, and if we prepare ourselves, we understand the gospel that saved us so that we can explain it in just simple ways to people who need to be saved. I pray, God, that you would use this church to lead people to Jesus. Lord, that we would never stop, that we would never get lazy about this. We would never get dull to the need for this. We would never forget the urgency. We would never forget the angst of what it feels like to be lost and the peace of what it feels like to be saved. And I pray, God, that you would use us to reach this community for Christ. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, Lord. Amen.